You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Young Joe Biden, 1973 or so, a future president of the United States, but so silly and not so smart. And people were learning that at the time. Wow, who is this guy? A publisher in New Hampshire of the Manchester Gazette said the voters of Delaware who elected this stupid, conceited jackass to the Senate should kick him in the rear to knock some sense into him and kick themselves for voting for such an individual to represent them. Joe, it's just inconceivable still. Every now and then I think we have to kind of remind ourselves just how flawed this individual is, just how tragic this situation is that a man like him is president when the danger signs were there since day one. As the youngest member of the Senate, the one therefore who may expect the longest career there, I wonder if you'd say to us, since it's clear that you're not corrupt and you got elected, why should people think that the system produces corrupt results when there you are? Well, I'm not sure you should assume I'm not corrupt, but I thank you for that, though. Very few people are assuming you're not corrupt anymore, Joe. Oh, boy. Hiding in plain sight, the cockiness. And he took that to his first presidential race. This is a man who has been lying all of his life, getting away with it, never atoning, never adjusting, never growing. What law school did you attend, and where did you place in that class? And the other question oh, is, could you quickly... I, I think, we I, I, think I probably have a much higher IQ than you do, I suspect. I went to law school on a full academic scholarship, the only one in my, in my class uh, to have a full academic scholarship. In the first year in law school, I decided I didn't want to be in law school and ended up in the bottom two-thirds of my class and then decided I wanted to stay, went back to law school, and in fact ended up in the top half of my class. I won the international moot court competition. I was the outstanding student in the political science department at the end of my year. I graduated with three degrees from undergraduate school and 165 credits, only need 123 credits, and I'd be delighted to sit down and compare my IQ to yours if you'd like, Frank. Almost as stunning as all those lies in such a short amount of time. The look on his face, the smug look on his face, everything he just said was a lie. He was a grown man, arguably in his prime, 45, 46 years old. Did he get better? Did he become more moral, gain integrity since then? No, the opposite has happened. Even when he got caught, he was in, hey, I'm a good guy. Uh, This is not my fault. You feel you're able to control, to put in the vernacular of your mouth, that you can think before you talk? Well, I've been in this business for 15 years. Um, and uh, I, uh, 
um, I'll let my record of 15 years versus the transgression that you're referring to uh, stand, and you can make you all can make that judgment. I feel very capable of uh, using my mouth and sync with my mind. How weird was that? And notice that he actually said, I've been in this business for 15 years. He calls it a business. I thought it was public service. Back then, he was just a clown from Delaware. He really didn't mean anything. And now he's president. Now he has real power. And he brings this chronic dishonesty uh, to the presidency as he sits with his cabinet. I have a feeling, really, his dishonesty, that's one of the reasons why he's in the job he has right now. The swamp wanted a guy who at times would cover for them. And boy, do they need some cover right now. A report has been issued by the inspector general on the situation in Afghanistan, our horrific failure there, why the Afghan security forces collapsed. Now, the swamp, even in this report, is protecting itself. They try to take shots at Trump. You'll notice it's a pretty narrow report. A lot of things went wrong in addition to that. Um, you remember what happened in August and September of 2021, the horrendous, catastrophic, irreversible, never to be forgotten, although it has been forgotten, loss in Afghanistan. And then Joe Biden, the so-called uh, consoler in chief, checking his watch at the funeral. Well, we have this report. Interestingly, the inspector general points out that he had no real cooperation from the two major players over there, the State Department and the Department of Defense. How about that? We're going to have an after-action report in the State Department and the Department of Defense. They're not going to cooperate. But here's one big takeaway from this report. The United States of America had no business trying to train the Afghan military. We did not have the resources. We did not have the doctrine. We did not have, quite frankly, the know-how. This is a completely, radically different country from the United States. We tried to impose our view of what a military should look like on them and they were just not capable. And quite frankly, everybody knew it. They were never good. They were always crummy. I'm sorry. And our generals and admirals just lied for them to us about the situation. They showed me the positive changes they have helped bring about, the villages they can now enter, the, the Afghan police and forces they are training and trying to improve. I think uh, that the development of the Afghan army is on a very good path right now. We, we've made tremendous strides, incredible progress in the last 20 months. The solid partnership has been the thing that has been really striking for me all around the country. It's fair to ask if we're winning in Afghanistan. I believe the answer is yes, and several facts allow me to say that with confidence. And we've seen some great, great uh, progress in some of the operations based even at the tactical level on the intelligence uh, structure. Oh, a lot of military mumbo jumbo and jargon. Um, it's one thing. It takes a really great person to join the military. And we've got some of the best and the brightest, you know, these young people who join. But to stay in and make general. Wow. Some of them have become real experts in finding out what the boss, the political leaders want to hear and then presenting them with what they want to hear. Happens all the time. For instance, uh, I think uh, a lot of people want, not us, but a lot of people wanted to hear this, believe it or not, from the chairman of the Joint Chiefs. I want to understand white rage, and I'm white, and I want to understand it. 
<laughs> we don't have that luxury. I think that's clear now to everybody. But keep in mind this attitude when we hear from Jake Sullivan. Made this comment over the weekend. I actually kind of missed its significance at first, but he's talking about the kind of tank that should be sent to Ukraine. All right. We've got an M1 Abrams tank. It's a great tank. Uh, the Europeans have something called the Leopard tank. Listen to what he says the military tells him. I'm glad you asked this question because uh, I think this has been the subject of some confusion. The president originally decided against sending U.S. tanks. They're called uh, Abrams uh, tanks. Abrams tanks. M1A1 Abrams tanks. He originally decided against sending them because his military told them that they would not be useful on the battlefield in this fight. What would be useful would be German tanks, a tank called the Leopard. Our generals told the administration that the M1 tank would not be useful in Ukraine. If they actually said that, and I suspect they did, they said it because these guys told them to say it. They made it very clear, and that's how the military works. They'll tell you what you want to hear. Real quick, the M1 tank is a lot better tank than that uh, Leopard thing. The Leopard's a fine tank, but the M1 is a better tank. Let's go through the numbers. Uh, greater range, firing range of 3,000 meters. The Leopard, same speed. About 100 miles less range. Firing range, 2,000 meters less. It's textbook. The M1 tank is a better tank than the Leopard. Now, what general would tell them the opposite? I want to understand white rage, and I'm white, and I want to understand it. That guy would. <laughs> Absolutely. And some of the other uh, generals who are occupying the Joint Chiefs of Staff right now, we do have some sorry individuals at the highest levels of the Pentagon. It really is tragic. It shouldn't be this way, but in a way, it always has been this way. In a way. Uh, I'd like to go through some of the other items in that Afghan after-action report. Number two. The Taliban is using millions of weapons we left behind. Now, we kind of knew that, but they reiterate it in the report. And they also add this, however, a warning that the same thing could happen in Ukraine. Our weapons could easily find their way onto the black market, into the hands of terrorists. And that would be really, really bad if man pads found their way into the hands of terrorists. Man pads can be a deadly terrorist tool, easy to shoot down commercial airliners. And you know how many man pads we have sent to Ukraine at this point? Uh, 1,400. That's a lot. And the accountability is next to non-existent when it comes to these weapons. You know, it's incredible. Here we are, the United States... And we're supporting Ukraine and all this money and all this treasure. America, we're not very good at wars. I mean, look at what happened in Iraq, <laughs> ancient history. But that was a total and complete fiasco. Afghanistan, a total and complete fiasco. Who the hell are we to be <laughs> messing around, quite frankly, in Ukraine? Joe Biden going over there and I mean... We can't straighten out our own wars. Are we going to be much better at this one? I hope so. I hope so. I really, really do. Hey, one other thing, folks. The FBI, uh, the FBI bragging about a case they solved 30 years ago. They say they solved it. I'll get to the case in a moment. But 
Quick review of their screw-ups. They have been, whew, they have messed up some of the biggest cases in American history. The JFK assassination, of course, 9-11, letting Whitey Bulger live in California for a decade, and uh, Waco, Texas. There's, there's something else. 30 years ago this week, the bombing of the World Trade Center, the 1993 bombing. People forget, but uh, there was another bombing, and they were very lucky. We were all very lucky as New Yorkers. One of those buildings almost came toppling down. It was an Islamic extremist terrorist, a cell, who planted the bomb and detonated it. But the FBI, they were tipped off that it was going to happen months ahead of time. And they failed to act. Last winter, the FBI was praised for its speed in cracking the case of the World Trade Center bombing and bringing four suspects to trial. Now, there is some evidence that the FBI may have known of the plot in advance through an informant and might, might even have stopped the bombing that killed six people. Correspondent Jacqueline Adams has the story. FBI agents might have been able to prevent last February's deadly explosion at New York's World Trade Center. They discussed secretly substituting harmless powder for the explosives, but they didn't, according to the FBI's own informant, Imad Salem. Unbeknownst to the FBI at the time, Salem recorded many of his conversations with his handlers. He sure did, Imad Salam, and he's still out there and he's still talking to people. He knew what they were going to do and he tried to tell the FBI this is going to happen. The FBI didn't believe him. The FBI blew it. Next. On February 26, 1993, a bomb in a Ryder van exploded, killing six and injuring a thousand. I just felt great deal of guilt. And I cried like a little kid because I know it's going to happen. That's him. That's the man. He knew the whole thing. And the FBI wouldn't listen, even though the FBI was already paying him to be an informant. It's kind of amazing. They've been letting us down for a long time. We need a total and complete overall at home and abroad, don't you think? We'll be right back. All right, there's uh, Secretary Pete Buttigieg of the Department of Transportation reluctantly appearing a few days ago in East Palestine. I mean, why would the Secretary of Transportation go to one of the nation's worst train wrecks? Well, he's in a bit of trouble. Uh, people have been noticing Pete, and they don't like what they see. Turns out he's been flying all over the place on planes uh, owned by the United States government. Maybe he's been doing that a bit too much. Uh, yeah, that's kind of a problem. Planes and cars, they can get you into real trouble when you're in federal service. Uh, Pete is aware of the investigation and internal probe, and this is how he's handling it so far. Yeah, here's how we uh, handle my travel. The vast majority of the time I travel on commercial airlines in economy class. Uh, but there is a portion of the time, I'd say about 10 to 20 percent, uh, when we use our agency's aircraft. This is not chartering a private jet. This is a, a government aircraft that uh, is assigned to the FAA. <laughs> government aircraft that are assigned to the FAA. These are the coolest planes in the world and everybody wants to fly on them. Look at that. Your own big jet, United States of America, it says right on the side. They're big. Sometimes they're medium sized. Sometimes they're a bit smaller. They're all totally and completely cool. This is one of the nice parts when you're in federal government at the very top 
Listen to how the Obama crew reacted when they got to fly these planes for the very first time. Totally tickled in 2008. Aides who boarded the plane in Chicago before Mr. Obama's motorcade arrived included Robert Gibbs, the press secretary, who was plainly excited at being aboard one of the presidential planes for the first time. Oh, yes, he loved it. The power, the power. It's a little clearer now, Mr. Gibbs said. Nice digs. Also, the Boeing 757-200, part of the Air Force Special Air Mission Fleet, bore the distinctive blue and white colors and the words United States of America. Everybody loves these planes. They are cool, especially the reporters and the correspondents. They love to show their friends that they flew on Air Force One. Uh, all these reporters for all the big networks, look at me in front of Air Force One. Uh, look at this producer who works at the White House. I'm at, there it is, one of those blue and white planes. They all do this. Uh, there's an ABC News White House correspondent. You see, whammo, aren't I important? This guy, uh, Washington Bureau Chief of the Dallas News, he really likes the uh, presidential helicopters. And you get to fly on those sometimes, especially the Osprey. How about this character? He's really full of himself in front of Air Force One, isn't he? Yeah, that's me. <laughs> I, I took one of these pictures as well back when I was in the White House press corps. It's cool. Pete wants us to think it's not cool. It is cool. They all get a huge kick out of it. This this is power. This is why these guys, a lot of them get into the game of politics, but not Pete. The number one reason we would use that agency aircraft is uh, that it actually works out to be less expensive for taxpayers than uh, uh, than the commercial airline tickets would be. All right, Pete, give me a break. You really want to be on coach. You really want to save the government money. I don't think you want to say I don't think you ever want to endorse something like this. Pete likes pri flying private all the way back when he was running for president as the mayor of some small town. He got his own private jet. Can you believe it? Hey, everybody likes a private jet. If you can afford one, have at it. But if you're a government service, you should probably avoid them. Even the government planes, when you're a secretary of transportation, go on civilian planes like the rest of us. If you're a Wall Street fat cat, no problem. Who remembers Wall Street? The movie, 1987, Bud Fox gets seduced by Gordon Gecko. And this is part of the seduction right here. Um, it really appeals to the greedy side of Bud Fox. Listen. Wake up, will you, pal? If you're not inside, you are outside, okay? And I'm not talking about some $400,000 a year working Wall Street stiff, flying first class and being comfortable. I'm talking about liquid. Rich enough to have your own jet. Yep, that's what it's all about for so many people, especially, oh boy, Obama, John Kerry, uh, and Pete. Pete, to some extent. Oh, Kamala Harris. Back when she was running for president, she put out these videos all the time. I'm sorry for dripping, but drip is what I do. And one of these days, I'm sorry for dripping. The drip is what I do. It's some sort of, uh, I don't know, TikTok, uh, whatever. But, you know, she's trying to be a little bit, what's the word, gangsta, right? She's trying to be cool, right? And uh, it is kind of cool, but it doesn't mesh with public service. Sorry. But I guess it does in her book. Her social media team, they can't get enough of her getting on these big planes. They think it is a good look. Um, I don't know. You know, remember when, when Joe Biden said... He's been in this business for a long time. This looks like a business, not like public service. We'll be right back.
Hey guys, it's Carson. Are you looking to protect your money from Biden's America? Yeah, me too. Well, right now you can get up to $10,000 in free silver while supplies last just by taking action in today's uncertain times. That's exactly why I've partnered with a great company, Gold Co. So you can diversify your savings and investments with gold and silver before things get worse. Gold Co. is a six-time, 5,000 winner, 2022 Company of the Year with thousands of five-star reviews and have helped people like you and me place over $1 billion in gold and silver. They're offering up to $10,000 in free silver while supplies last. If you call them today, qualified callers get a free Ronald Reagan half-ounce silver coin. Don't pass this up. Not while companies are laying off workers by tens of thousands and Chinese spy balloons are drifting over our country consequence-free. Protect yourself from Biden's America and see if you're eligible for up to $10,000 in free silver while supplies last. Here's the number, 855-735-3740. That's 855-735-3740 for Gold Co. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. All I, All I can, can say is, is that the fake news just doesn't get it. Do they? Fake news galore again at CNN. Brian Cranston. I got to admit, I never really got into the Breaking Bad TV show. A lot of people said it was great. I'm sure it was. But this guy, ooh. No, 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 no. He met with Chris Wallace and he was a big deal on Breaking Bad, right? That was a huge, huge show. But now he's got his money. He's got his fame. He's got opportunities galore. So it's very easy and almost compulsory that he be woke. How did we get to a point where we treated other human beings as slaves and and we're okay with that? When I, when I see the, the Make America Great Again, my comment is, do you, do, you, do you accept that that could possibly be construed as a racist remark? And most people, a lot of people go, how could that be racist? Make America Great Again? I, I said, so just ask yourself from, from an African-American experience, when was it ever great in America for the African-American? When was it great? Wow. Actually, that's kind of racist, what he's saying there. He's assuming that every African-American must have the same experience at any given moment of any given day, right? It's just black people all together. They all feel the same way. Look, we're individuals. I had a great year, 1998. That was a fantastic year. It was terrible for the economy and a lot of other things, but I happen to be on a winning streak in my personal life and whatnot. 2004 was a terrible year for me personally. The country was doing, eh, the country was actually, it's an individual thing. Man, these guys, they're so out of touch. Although I think they're kind of out of touch on purpose too. There's a little bit more. So if you're making it great again, it's not including them. So it's, it's to teach us in the woke world to open up and, and accept the possibilities that our privilege has created blind spots for us. And maybe I haven't seen what is really happening yet in all my years. 
Oh. He, he said the woke world like it's a like it's a good thing. And Chris Wallace, of course, just sits there and eats it all up. Uh, all right. So I guess what Brian Cranston should do is atone uh, for the fact that he was cast along with another white man, two white leads in a TV show. Can you imagine that ever happening in Hollywood again? No, it won't. No matter how many videos like this they put on TV. I take responsibility. I take responsibility. I take responsibility. I take responsibility for every unchecked moment, for every time it was easier to ignore than to call it out for what it was. Every not-so-funny joke. Every unfair stereotype. Every blatant injustice, no matter how big or small. Every time I remained silent. Every time I explained away police brutality or turned a blind eye. I take responsibility. Black people are being slaughtered in the streets, killed in their own homes. These are our brothers and sisters, our friends, our family. We right, are done right, watching right, them right, die. Actually, none of that stuff is happening. <laughs> uh, slaughtered in the streets. Like, it's just, it's all in my book, by the way. Uh, Justice for All, how the left is wrong about law enforcement. And oh boy, are these people wrong. But they're desperate to remain in that system. And Aaron Paul, he was in that show. Uh, there, there he is. And he really went off, you know, just the self-flagellation, apologizing for being white. They have their money. They have their status. They want to keep those things. And that's what they do. They do these kinds of exercises. But what about for the rest of us who still want to make money, who still want to do things? This impacts a lot more than Hollywood. This goes all the way to the classroom, to the bus depot, to the cap. No matter what your job, this nonsense is infecting America. And it's a disgrace. But I think we're going to fix it. Long term, we will. I'll be right back. Okay, you're looking at Laura Trump, a Politico dynamo. I mean, she's really good at this stuff. She happens to be the daughter-in-law of the 45th president of the United States, married to Donald Trump's son, Eric. Laura Trump joins us once again. She's got a great show, The Right View podcast, available online at therightview.com. Laura Trump, welcome back to Newsmax. How are you? Well, thank you, Greg. Great to be back with you. I'll take all the compliments. Keep them coming. We could just do this for the whole interview. That's well, fine. Well, you know, it's true. <laughs> You've got real talent when it comes to uh, politics. And a lot of people want to see you in the U.S. Senate. Well, let's just skip to it. What is up with you in running for the Senate? I know you thought about it in North Carolina. That was public. Um, what about next time? When is the next time? What are you looking at? Well, you know what, to be honest, I'm focused on 2024 right now and helping get my father-in-law elected as our not just 45th, but 47th president of the United States, because quite frankly, I don't think we have any other options at this point, Greg. It's, I mean, it's a dire situation for America to get him back in office. Um, and then I'll consider what I'm going to do. Yeah, I was considering very seriously running for Senate in my home state of North Carolina. I did not pursue that basically because I think my kids needed me to be here with them as their mom. And my kids are young. They're three and five. So maybe when they're slightly older, you never know what could happen. We'll see. But right now we're focused on 24 and making sure that Donald Trump 
is our 47th president. All right. And by the way, it's looking good so far for the uh, for President Trump being president again. Look at this poll. Full screen one, please. 30 points over Ron DeSantis, 50 points over Nikki Haley. Uh, but let's face it, there's a lot of buzz about Ron DeSantis right now. Um, does that bother you? It's, it's, I don't, I don't, I don't fault President Trump. It seems to bother him sometimes. What do you make of DeSantis right now and uh, this talk? Well, look, he was just reelected as the governor of my state, of the state of Florida, where I am right now. And he committed to being governor for us for another four years. So I sure as heck would like to see him continue down that path and remain the governor here. Um, but when you actually look at any head to head matchup with Donald Trump and any potential candidate uh, running in 2024, any possible opponent, Donald Trump is getting over 50 percent of the vote. So if you bring in Nikki Haley, Ron DeSantis, anyone else who might want to jump in this race, Greg, um, they're likely going to split the other portion of that vote. And it actually makes it, I think, a little bit easier for Donald Trump. So everybody's welcome to join in the race. And come on in. I think we can all think back to 2016. And remember, there were 17 candidates and Donald Trump running for that Republican nomination. People said he had no shot, but it turned out the more the merrier. And it really was for him in 2016. Um, so he's not, I, I don't think, afraid of anyone or anything. And I think it actually may help him to get more people in this race. So well, we're ready for all of it. Understood. Famously, he would not commit to supporting the ultimate Republican nominee, because he didn't know who that was going to be. And maybe he would support that person. Maybe he wouldn't. It looks like the party is looking for a, a pledge. Not only a pledge, it's a, it's a mandate. you got to say you support the nominee or else you can't be in the debates. Uh, what's the latest on that? Is, is he prepared to sign one of those pledges or is he going to treat it like last time? And I think they got <laughs> him to sign a pledge at the last minute. I don't know. What are your thoughts on that whole dynamic? Wow. Well, if I knew what Donald Trump was going to do at all times, Greg, I mean, I'd be a very rich woman. I can make a lot of bets on things. Um, but look, I think ultimately he has changed this party, the Republican Party. He is the leader of this party. Um, you know, he's kind of changed the way we conduct elections and we, we run campaigns at this point. So Donald Trump really is the leader in this space. That said, I think he wants to see our party move forward. I know he wants to see America move forward and Americans prosper and this country get back on track. And we know we can't do that with the Democrats in charge of America. They've proven that very quickly, sadly, in the two years that they've had the power. Uh, we see how, how quickly America has disintegrated at this point. So I think his goal is to bring America back. And I think he knows he's the person to do that. But I think he's supportive of anyone who could accomplish that task for the country. CPAC is this week. Actually, it starts tomorrow. You're going to speak. Uh, President Trump is going to speak. And CPAC has always been, well, very good to President Trump. And he's been good to CPAC. Here are some highlights over the years. Do me a favor. Hit cut three. <laughs> It's such an honor to be here at CPAC. We've done this before. The response has been so great. Great to be back at CPAC. And people say, are you sure he's a conservative? I think now we've proved that I'm a conservative. I came back for a second one, then a third. Then I said, what the hell? Let's run for president, right? I'm thrilled to be back at CPAC with the thousands of proud American patriots who love our country, respect our flag, honor our history. We will secure our borders. We will stop left-wing cancel culture. 
we will restore free speech and fair elections, and we will make America great again. And maybe one more moment when he hugs the flag. That might have been my favorite. I think that was in 2019. It was only President Trump. I think we have that cut. Yeah, there we go. He's kind of giving it a hug off there in the distance. Um, good stuff. Good stuff. All right. Listen, I support President Trump. I love him. I love the style. I love the substance. Do you think there's anything he should change? Is he thinking about changing anything? I mean, look, we all learn. We learn from our mistakes. We learn from what we did well. What, and um, do you anticipate he's going to have a different approach? Maybe it's already happened, but is there anything you'd like to see different from this election cycle from President Trump as he runs for the, the big job? Well, look, I think that the big difference, at least right now from 2016, is he has a record to run on. So he's not just a businessman, you know, making promises about things he's going to do. He actually delivered on so much of that when he was president. Um, so I'd like to see him hearken back to all of the big accomplishments because, Greg, gosh, there were so many and most of it never got covered by the mainstream media. I know that's a shock to people. And of course, I say that, you know, very facetiously. Um, they covered very little of what he did, but I think we all felt it as Americans. And I think it's a great time to remind people of that record, what he accomplished and how great America really was while he was president of the United States, man, things have felt pretty bad for people as of late. And I think they're looking for hope. I think they're looking for inspiration. And I think they're looking for somebody who can roll up their sleeves, get in there and get the job done. So my advice to him is always talk about what he's done and how he's going to get us back there. Um, that's the greatest advice I could give. But you know what? He is a unique person. Uh, oftentimes people question the things that he's done and, and they question it in the moment. And then they look back and they say, man, Donald Trump was right about the way he approached that, the way he did that. Um, so the best advice I could give him is talk about what he's done and how he's going to do it again. So thank you for your assistance. I know you're rooting for Newsmax and our little uh, <laughs> yes. uh, difficulties we're having with uh, AT&T and DirecTV. You've been supportive uh, on your platforms, and uh, we thank you for that. And uh, I hope it doesn't happen to you. What happened to us? Oh, well, they've tried. I mean, you know, an interview I did with my father-in-law about a year ago, they took off of all the social media outlets and, uh, you know, Facebook, the first one, and then, of course, YouTube. So, you know, you never know these days, Greg. It's really frightening to be a conservative, but I think we all have to continue to speak up and speak out, make our voices heard. And quite frankly, it's why we need a conservative back in the White House, someone who's going to stand up for our freedoms, our First Amendment freedom of speech, because it does feel like and there's evidence of it happening happening to Newsmax and OAN um, that we are being silenced at every possible turn. So, yes, I'm supportive. And uh, let's continue to take this fight to the man, as they say. Real quick. Let's face it. There were a lot of elections shenanigans in 2020. Uh, I don't believe we've gotten to the bottom of it. But, uh, you know, Joe Biden's the president right now. Uh, how do you guys prevent uh, any mischief or worse next time around? Yeah, I mean, it is a big concern. I hear it from people all the time. I will say, I think as Republicans, we need to start changing the way we play this game. You know, uh, Republicans have always said, we're going to follow the rules by the book and do everything in a certain way. We should vote on election day. Well, I would love there to be 
one election day. But we know that's not the case. Elections go for months long at this point. And so I think we have to start telling people, get out and vote early. Get your vote banked. Then get other people out to vote. We have to start doing ballot harvesting, Greg, where it is legal, because that is exactly what the Democrats are doing. We can't play the game the way we've done it for a long time. And then, of course, we need eyes on the ground. We need boots on the ground. And we need people watching the polls. If anybody out there wants to volunteer, you can go to DonaldJTrump.com. And we have a spot there where you can sign up to be a poll watcher, an election volunteer, because we can never let the things that happened in 2020, you're exactly right, ever happen again in this country. No one should question whether or not their vote actually counted in the United States of America. So um, that is a big concern for people. I think we need to change a, a little bit of how we operate as a party, right. but we need people watching as well. Laura Trump, we appreciate it very much. Check out the Right View podcast and uh, at Lara Lee Trump on social media. All the best. Please say hi to Eric and 45. We'll be right back. So this horror show is actually happening globally. You know, these drag time story hours. It's not just uh, in, in big American cities. It's happening globally. This weird uh, craze. It is horrific, obviously. Uh, I was not aware that it was happening in Calgary, Canada. Take a look at this. A video went viral as a, uh, a minister showed up at one of those um, drag time story hours and was basically forcibly removed. We're going to go through the clip in a moment, but first, let's meet Derek Reimer, pastor and founder of Mission 7 Ministries, and he was tossed out of this drag time story hour, whatever it is, at a library in Calgary, Canada. Uh, Derek Reimer, pastor, welcome to Newsmax. How are you? Good, thanks. Thanks for having me. How big a deal is uh, the drag movement and wanting to hang around kids in Canada? Uh, I know it's hot here. Just give us a sense across Canada, how much emphasis is uh, on that movement? Yeah, it's outrageous. It's disgusting. It's not just happening in Calgary. And as you're mentioning, it's all over Canada. It's all over the globe. It's just sweeping. And, you know, myself, my team, we're just tired of this and we want to put a stop to it in the name of Jesus Christ. And we want to, uh, we started an organization called Exposing Darkness, inspired from Ephesians 5.11, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. So we come there rebuking, exposing, and also inviting uh, them into the gospel in the name of Jesus Christ. So we want to disrupt these uh, get-togethers, and we want to distract these kids from this grooming pervert hour that is transpiring so frequently in our city here. I can't... Uh... <laughs> Think of it in any other way. Why would why would they want to hang around children? It is so. All right. So here's the here's the moment. This is how it went down. This is the clip that we saw online. Let's go ahead with cut one, please. We are now calling the police. Were you hurt? 
I was hurt a little bit uh, when you watch that clip. My face actually bangs off the glass, but uh, I'm okay. So the Calgary mayor, uh, Jody Gondak, is looking into opening hate crimes probe against you. Against you. Have you been officially notified of, of such a probe? No, I haven't yet. I was just notified just via CTV News when I watched it, and it's just egregious. You know, she wants to enforce her street harassment bylaw against us, and then that's not enough. So now she wants to open up an investigation of uh, hate crime against me and against my team. And uh, you know what? That's not going to deter us. That's not going to stop us. The Lord is our rear guard. He goes before us. He's a mighty warrior, and he will deliver us. So we are doing this, again, in the name of Jesus, and we're going to stand on that and continue. How many children were in that room? I would say about 15 to 17. And how many of these uh, drag characters trying to talk to them and read to them? There was two of them in the room. So let me ask you this. Um, are you okay with drag people dressing up and you know, doing whatever they want to do as long as they're not breaking the law at the age of 18? If somebody wants to dress like a woman and not hang around kids, you wouldn't have a crusade against that, right? Well, you know, I stand in the Bible. The Bible comes against all of homosexuality and transgenderism. But when you start to affect the little ones, this is really crossing a line where now, like I said, me and my team, we feel compelled uh, to get involved. We feel called to go and to interrupt and to preach and to rebuke. And we're going to continue to do it. Like, it's just disgusting. It's just wicked. It's just vile. Again, like two consenting adults or in like a drag bar. That, that, you know, that's a different story. Not that the Bible condones it or that it's okay, but, but that's different. But I'm just so disgusting and appalled at how they're involving these little ones, involving these children. It's like a, a strip club and a strip show in front of little ones. And, and that we all just have to be okay with it and just bow down to this. Well, I will not. Have you found uh, some inter interesting allies along the way? Like, you know, we have Gays Against Groomers and uh, some other groups. It's kind of interesting. I mean, you're an evangelical Christian, and I happen to know some people on online who are, let's face it, very, very colorful and have a, a different lifestyle, but they are as outraged as you are that they're trying to get kids involved. Have you been, have you been struck by that, that there's a diversity out there, political, religious perhaps, of folks who are opposed to this kind of depravity? Yeah, I'll come across it more and more. I'm a little bit newer in this movement. It's been the last few months. But I really appreciate even the drag queens to say, like, why the obsession with reading to the children and exposing these children or the homosexuals that, that share the same sentiment? You know, and I, I've really also appreciated some that just say simply, you know, this is just adult entertainment. And let's just keep it to that. Keep the yeah. children out of it. Keep it away from them. And just keep it in their, their bars and their, again, the adult entertainment of consenting adults. Mission7Ministries.com. Uh, check it out. Mission7Ministries.com for more information uh, about Derek and his work. Derek Reimer, pastor and founder of Mission 7 Ministries. Thank you. Be careful. Um, and we appreciate it very much. Thanks for having me. God bless. You bet. God bless. And we'll be right back.
Folks, thanks for your support on this. You know, we were dropped in January uh, by DirecTV. Newsmax was dropped from the channel lineup. Uh, this was the second conservative station it happened to in the past year. We need you to stand up to DirecTV. Make your voice heard, please. DirecTV keeps many liberal news channels on their lineup, but not Newsmax. You can call DirecTV. Let them know that you support free speech and Newsmax. The numbers are right there. Uh, if you're not a DirecTV, you can still, a DirecTV customer, you can still call our toll-free number. Let us know you support us and let Congress know as well. Uh, we will connect you free to Congress. And please don't forget to sign our petition opposing censorship. You go to IWantNewsmax.com, IWantNewsmax.com. Thank you, and I'll be back tomorrow night.